Welcome to another episode of 35 West. My name is Moises Random, the director of the Future Venezuela Initiative and fellow of the Americas program at CSIS. With how professional the Mexican, but are we ready? I don't reform trends in Argentina. Right. And that's what happened. No role at all in the NAFTA negotiation. While the health, economic, humanitarian, and political crisis in Venezuela worsens, criminal groups, including gangs, Colombia guerrilla groups, and colectivos, are competing for control of the country's southern territories where there are valuable mineral resources. These resources include coltan, diamonds, but particularly gold. Illegal mining is causing irreversible damage to the environment, fueling human rights abuses, and creating significant security threats for Venezuela and the region. But at the same time, as significant sanctions and diplomatic isolation have not yet impacted Nicolás Maduro's hold on power, illegal mining also is raising three fundamental issues for policymakers. One, the implications of further instability in an already failed state. Two, the impact on sanctions policies. And three, the challenges of getting these territories back from armed groups once there is a transition. And to discuss this complex and urgent issue, here with us is Cristina Burelli, one of the leading experts in this area. Cristina, among other things, is an advisor and international liaison at SOS Orinoco. SOS Orinoco is one of the most prominent NGOs that is shedding light on the existing situation in the Amazonia and Orinoco regions of Venezuela, and is outlining some urgent measures to halt the unfolding human and environmental disaster in Venezuela. Cristina, thank you very much for joining us in 35 West. Thank you, Moises. Pleasure to be here. Now, as we mentioned, southern Venezuela is experiencing an illegal mining crisis involving local gangs, military forces, guerrilla groups like the FARC, ELN. Cristina, can you walk us through how this crisis began in the first place and how the Maduro regime's policy incentivized illegal mining? I think it's important to give a little bit of context on the 40 years of democracy prior to the arrival of Chavez and then Maduro on the scene. Venezuela had probably the most conservationist policy for its Amazonian region in all of Latin America, compared to Brazil, Colombia, Peru, the countries that most people would identify as being part of Amazonia. Venezuela is one of those countries, but people don't really identify Venezuela as a being an Amazonian country. So for the 40 years of democracy prior to Chavez, various governments created laws that protected vast areas of the pristine forest south of the Orinoco River. Indigenous peoples' ancestral territories were protected. Canaima National Park was declared a World Heritage Site in 1994, I believe. And numerous protected areas were created between 1962 and 1993. And all mining was made illegal in the state of Amazonas. Now, this doesn't mean that there was no illegal mining during these years. On the contrary, there were foreign miners, Garimpeiros from Brazil, that were exploiting mines illegally, but it was minimal compared to what we're seeing today. So that's a little bit of context until the arrival of the Maduro and Chavez uh, regimes. Then with the progressive and definitive collapse of the oil-based economy that happened in the early 2000s, we see how the Maduro regime and Chavez to a little bit leading up to this started to ramp up disorderly exploitation of the, of the vast mineral resources in southern Venezuela. 
Yeah, that's interesting that you, you mentioned that Venezuela, in a way, is not seen as a Amazonian country, right? And <laughs> because, you know, I'm from Maracay, the north of the country, and, and most of the populations are around the coast, the Caribbean coast. So in a way, Venezuela is seen as a Caribbean country for many respects. I believe about 80% of the population are living in that area, the, the coast area. Nonetheless, many of the southern territories are part no, of this huge Amazonia region in South America. And so my question, Christina, is how many of these mines, of this illegal mine, is happening within this very fragile ecosystem environment? And could you describe a little bit of how is this environment, this ecology in this area, like how biodiversity is? And, and can you walk us through a little bit about that? So 60% of the country of Venezuela lies beneath the Orinoco River. So the Orinoco River is kind of splits the country in two, in a way. The region located beneath, south of the Orinoco River basin, is Venezuelan Amazonian region, but it also comprises the Guyana Shield. And the Guyana Shield is a Precambrian geological formation. It's one of the oldest parts of the world. And it's well known for its tabletop mountains called Pepuis. And this makes Venezuela one of the top 10 mega biodiverse countries in the world. So, you know, the top mega biodiverse country is Brazil. But Venezuela is in this list of the top 10. And that means a number of things. Okay, it's the third country in the world with the highest plant wealth or diversity it's the fourth country in the world in amphibian species. It's the sixth country in the world with the most bird species. Okay. And Venezuela and Amazonia comprises not only lowland tropical forest. It also has a whole range of ecosystems along an, a gradient of up to 3000 meters above sea level. And this makes Venezuela and Amazonia really unique amongst the other Amazonian countries, which are mostly low level. So what is distinctive of Venezuela's Amazonia is the fact that it's so diverse and you have these high levels and low levels. And that's what creates this amazing biodiversity. And how are these illegal mines in these areas, Christina, are harming the environment? And what are the consequences in the long term, how lasting they are? Yeah, so because this is such a, an antique part of the world, there's not very much topsoil because there's been so much sedimentation throughout, you know, the eons. So deforestation is really, really the problem because once you take down these trees, they're not going to grow back. They're not going to grow back for centuries. Okay, so deforestation is the main, the main issue. But also with deforestation, you get decertification. So these illegal mines where they're taking down the trees. I mean, we have pictures of how they become literally a desert, just sand, because there's no real soil there. So you get deforestation, desertification, and then you also get sedimentation in the rivers. So these are pristine rivers, you know, that are the huge rivers. The Orinoco is the third largest river in the world. And what's happening is that these pristine rivers are being contaminated with all this earth that is being taken out when you do gold mining with high pressure water. So the rivers are getting sedimented and that has consequences for 
electricity generation. But from the environmental point of view, you're getting sedimentation and you're also getting mercury poisoning in those rivers. Is this affecting other countries in the region? I understand as well. No? For example, Guyana, Colombia and other countries, in a way, have they seen the impact of all these illegal mining operations in Venezuela in their own environment and their own territories? I think the country that is most seeing the effect is Guyana because of the way the rivers flow. So Venezuela, you know, the waters flow north. So most of the environmental problems are harming Venezuela itself, but also Guyana and the Cuyuni The Cuyuni River flows into Guyana and there is a lot of illegal mining happening there. And I think the government of Guyana is becoming very, very alarmed by the rate of sedimentation and deforestation and not to speak of the presence of violent groups and the ELN. But further down the line, there is a concern that if this continues, the level of mercury in the Orinoco River flowing into the Atlantic may ultimately start affecting Trinidad and Tobago and other islands in the Caribbean. That That's a little bit further off, but if this continues at the rate that it's going, we could see that issue. Yeah. You know, uh, doing my, my own research, I think I spotted one of the main mines that SOS Orinoco is highlighting, and it's one of them is Las Claritas. No, It's a mine that was was developed many years ago, but it, we saw a, a very rapid expansion throughout the last few months and years, you know, especially since Maduro came into power. So walk us through a little bit what La Claritas, I mean, how big is this mine and, and where do you see the main issues coming out of this mine in southern Venezuela? So La Claritas, that is actually a legal mine unlike many of the other illegal mines. So Las Claritas was, a, you know, it's traditionally, it's one of the gold mines that has been exploited by the Venezuelan government and then foreign companies like Canadian companies and so forth. But the problem is that when they promulgated this Arco Minero del Orinoco decree in, in 2016, the Maduro regime basically nationalized and, and kicked out all the foreign companies companies that were exploiting in an industrial way, the big gold mines. And then, so all of these mines fell into the hands of small, now violent groups, and they're no longer exploiting it in a industrial way, but they're doing it in a completely disorderly way. And obviously using a lot of cyanide and mercury, and they're not you know, doing this in, in a way that is environmentally friendly, if, if that can be said. So it's, it's become a complete free-for-all. And there has been a gold rush in this area, which is affecting not only the areas that are designated for legal mining, but this is pushing into all the protected areas that surround the traditional mining areas. So Las Claritas is in the state of Bolivar, but all around it, there is Canaima National Park and other protected areas. So the problem with this disorderly way of mining is that there's no geographical limit to the way in which people are exploiting the mines. It's pushing and putting pressure on the protected areas. Wow, yeah, no. 
it's incredible. Now, there are also local populations now in this area. I mean, Venezuela is home to 34 indigenous groups, and many of them are concentrated in these same areas in southern Venezuela. We also know that there are human rights implications coming out of this mine. You mentioned illegal groups that are now violent and using, you know, torture and other tools to repress people. So tell us a little bit about how are local populations facing this crisis and, and especially in the indigenous group, how, how are they being affected by illegal mining? So along with tremendous biodiversity, the southern Venezuela has the largest socio-cultural and ethnic diversity of all of Venezuela. So between Amazonas, the states of Amazonas, Bolivar, and Delta Macuro, there are many communities, different types of communities. There's the Criollo community, there's the Afro-descendant communities, and there are 26 different indigenous communities in this southern area. I mean, that you mentioned 34, but we, we have to remember that, you know, other states like Zulia has its indigenous populations as well. So the problem is that this Arco Minero del Orinoco and this imposition of plans and extractive projects has been in direct violation of the indigenous people's rights to be consulted and informed. So the constitution, Chavez's constitution, said it very clearly that indigenous people had to be consulted and informed before any type of mining projects or even uh, designation of protected areas. All of this, you know, you have to take into account indigenous people and their right to free determination, the impact on their ancestral lands, etc. The Maduro regime has not done this in spite of the fact that this is clearly spelt out in the 1999 constitution, which is Chavez's constitution. So there's not only violation of human rights and persecution of indigenous people, particularly the Pemon people and their indigenous leaders, but there's a violation of human right to clean water, to clean environment. All these indigenous populations that, you know, are in the areas of illegal mining are being poisoned by mercury in the rivers. They have, there's no education. Many of the teachers, hundreds of teachers who used to teach in indigenous communities have all gone to the mines. There's an increase in human trafficking. There's an increase in child labor. So there are all kinds of human rights violations. Yeah, that, that's so important to shed light on because I don't think working on this policy environment, I don't think that comes into light, at least in Washington, D.C. as often. So that's why the, the work you do is key on, on this area. Now, Cristina, let's switch to the Maduro regime. I mean, so there are a couple of huge implications here, right? Like one is that the illegal mining in a way is propping up the Maduro regime, especially in this context where he's isolated diplomatically, financially. He has sanctions imposed in the country, in the oil industry on, on himself. And he has indictments now out by the DOJ. But in a way, he's using criminal activities, right, and, and organized crime with the facade of the institutions of the country, right? So in a way, it's a mafia state that is profiting from so many illegal activities, including narco-trafficking, money laundering. But gold mining is, has come up into the surface, especially in the last couple of years. So how is illegal mining profiting Maduro 
and how he's benefiting directly or indirectly from these operations. The amazing thing about the gold mining issue is that unlike oil production, which is extremely complex, gold mining is relatively simple. Anybody can go out and start digging for, for gold, particularly in a place like Venezuela, which, you know, now, you know, we always read about how the Spaniards conquistadores were looking for El Dorado. Well, I think it's not that they completely missed it. They went south to Peru or to Mexico, but they missed out on Venezuela because it was in such a remote area. But basically, you know, indigenous populations have been doing artisanal mining and without really damaging the environment forever. So the thing about the gold mining is that it has provided this quick fix for the regime in the sense that they know that they can, without huge investments, they can produce gold, they can mine for diamonds, for coltan, for rare earths. And with the help of the Colombian guerrilla, the FARC and the ELN, and with other non-state violent groups, they can smuggle out this gold and these rare earths and diamonds in various ways. So some of it goes out through Colombia, some goes through uh, Guyana, through the rivers. You know, you have private planes that are flying gold out into the ABC islands in the Caribbean. Some are being flown into Mexico. I mean, all over we're hearing of stashes of gold that are being flown directly out of southern Venezuela. And we have reason to believe that 80% of the gold that is produced in Venezuela does not go through the central bank of Venezuela. So according to the laws and constitution, you all mining, all gold has to go through the Banco Central de Venezuela. Well, this isn't happening. Only 20% apparently is going through the bank. Everything else is being smuggled out. So this is a very easy way for the Maduro regime to produce money for the top thugs, Maduro and his wife and his family and Tarek el and all these people that have been sanctioned are profiting from this. Yeah, and, and in a way he's buying political loyalty, no? because as you mentioned, 80% of the gold is going out of the country, but in, in that supply chain, they're military officials or governors or mayors or armed groups, collectivos are profiting no? by bribes and, and using that corrupt money to buy, in a way, political loyalty. So, yeah, the implications are huge. And now you mentioned also that all the countries are receiving this call directly and, and mostly Colombia, Guyana, and, and, and I mean, the, the countries that are neighbors to Venezuela. But also there are developed countries, rich countries that are receiving this gold at the end of the day, right? Like Switzerland and there are African countries too, the U.S. At, at the end of the day, these countries are also profiting and, you know, this gold gets into the legal market despite the fact that it's coming from Venezuela. So that said, what do you think that the international community should be doing to try to disrupt these criminal activities that has huge implications in the environment, human rights, and others, what can they do about it? How, I mean, what are part of their tools that they have available to help? Yeah, so I think, you know, the first step is that these countries 
who have been either turning a blind eye or maybe haven't really been focusing on what's happening in that respect in Venezuela, they need to understand that the emerging threats to security in Venezuela and the surrounding countries, so Colombia, Brazil, Guyana, cannot be analyzed or understood without considering the role of its vast minerals and its fragile environment. And what we're seeing here is kind of the beginning of what we saw in African countries. So we and the, the international community in these countries like, you know, Holland, United States, you know, other countries that, you know, somehow are in the supply chain of minerals, they have to understand that they cannot allow the fight for mineral wealth that has decimated a number of African countries to start taking hold in the middle of the Western Hemisphere. I mean, until now, you know, mining has occurred in, in Latin America forever. That's, you know, for centuries before the La Conquista, there has been mining. But we've never seen the type of wars that occurred in Africa. That has never happened in the Western Hemisphere. And my fear is that this is what we're going to start seeing because of what's going on in Venezuela. So the international community needs to increase the tracking of these high value resources that are, are now becoming conflict minerals. So it's conflict, you know, it's blood gold, blood diamonds, you know, blood coltan and so forth. And the networks that traffic them in international markets, we have to start focusing on them in order to minimize the potential for these resources to continue financing a dictatorship and a lasting conflict. Yeah, no, it's incredible. Christina, we're running out of time, but I don't want to finish without asking for on the day after in Venezuela, right? I mean, this is a country that will need a huge help from the international community to rebuild itself. And these illegal mining implications are not going to stop once we see potential transition towards democracy, kind of the opposite, right? We will see huge challenges coming into surface. We may see the threat of all these illegal armed groups fighting with each other. At some point, they are in peace today, but as soon as they see that their operations are being threatened by you know, a peaceful democratic government in Venezuela, they will try to respond and, and potentially by violence itself. So. They're very ugly scenarios looking forward in Venezuela if we see a democracy coming. So what is in your mind when, when that day comes and how challenging it will be and what will be the role of the democratic government in Venezuela and the international community? Yeah, Moises, you're 100% right. And the speed at which this tragedy is evolving, the latest report that SOS Orinoco published just last week shows that this is accelerating. It's not diminishing it's surely going to define the possibility of a future transition and the governability of such a transition and the nature of Venezuela as a nation state for decades to come. I mean, this is going to be one, probably the defining feature. So SOS Orinoco has recommended two things. One, to the interim government of Guaido, but in, in general, there are two basic things that need to be done. One is that the National Assembly in Venezuela needs to focus and make use of the organic law of the fresh water, mega reserve and biodiversity 
of the south of the Orinoco and Amazonia. So this was a law sanctioned by the National Assembly of Venezuela on November 27, 2018. And it's a fantastic law. This law proposes a territorial reorganization in the entire southern region of Venezuela, in Bolivar and Amazonas, that renders illegal all the anarchic mining in the Arco Minero and beyond. And this law also makes it illegal to do this type of anarchic mining, not only in the Arco Minero, but the entire southern region of Venezuela. And it protects all the water and the biodiversity in southern Venezuela. It's a really, really very well-crafted law, and it was sanctioned by the National Assembly. And the current National Assembly and an interim government need to use this law. So that's the first thing. They have the tool, but they just need to make use of it. The second thing is that not only a future government, the current Guaido interim government should request immediate technical support from the UN Environment Program. There's a UN Environment Program called the Expert Advisory Group on Environment, Conflict and Peace Building. So this is an expert advisory group on environment, conflict, and peace building that was established in 2008 in order to broaden UN environment's expertise and analytical capacity. It was, it was designed for Africa, for the issues in Congo and so forth, but it serves, it can be used in the case of Venezuela. And, and they have, they've developed tools, expertise, They've identified best practices in using natural resources of the environment in ways that will contribute to peaceful and responsible exploitation of resources and to mediate amongst these groups that are in, you know, already ensconced in Venezuela. So I think this is also urgent. So these are kind of two different ways of approaching the issue. Christina, thank you. It was a fascinating conversation. I think that the, the topic of this episode is fundamentally important to understand, to respond to Venezuela today and for a day after scenario as well. So I appreciate your time, your expertise today. And thank you for joining us again. No, thank you. Thank you and CSIS for your interest and your passion and your commitment to this topic. Thank you. For you, thank you again for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of 35 West. Thank you.